It's, uh, it's wonderful to be here in Tyler. Uh, it's very, very friendly. And, uh, you know, we've always wanted to come to Tyler everything, ever since we found out Tyler is a place. <laughs> when we came into CGI several years ago, uh, every week during the announcements, we'd always get news from Tyler. News from Tyler. We thought Tyler was a person. <laughs> then we finally found out it was a place. So on our flight here, um, our steward, his name was Tyler. So we met Tyler the person and we've come to Tyler the place. Certainly is friendly here and we got a taste of Texan hospitality. Uh, last night on the drive from Dallas, we stopped for dinner and uh, the place was full. But we saw a couple of seats at the bar. So we asked him, we sit at the bar and eat there. And they said, fine, that's no problem. When we got there, actually only one seat was available. Somebody had got up to go to the bathroom. So the gentleman to the left said he would move over one so that we could have two seats. So we sat there and we spoke with him. Turns out this man has been married five times. (laughs) And I asked him, I said, like, wow, are you thinking of getting married again? He said he he is. And he said, this time it'll be for life. Um, But he said he can't get married in Texas. Texas has a five strikes and you're out rule. So you can only get married five times in Texas. (laughs) So we shared with him that uh, next month we actually celebrate our 25th anniversary. So he was shocked and promised me that he's going to do it right the next time he gets married. On our right was uh, a man with a very long beard, uh, very well-groomed. So I commented on it, told him that I, I liked his beard. I actually did. Uh, for such a long beard, it was very well-kept. And he said he'd been growing it for 15 months. He's ex-Navy. And uh, now that he's out of the Navy, he just wants to do what he wants. And uh, he wants to grow this beard. He says it's his pet. And he's uh, looking after it. And uh, I said to him, uh, do you have a Harley Davidson? And he said, yes, he does. <laughs> So the image, I, I wanted to sing, I wanted to break into song and say to my wife, uh, how does it go? Uh, uh, cr- clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. <laughs> Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. So, very, very friendly. But I, did you hear the one about the street vendor in New York who, she was selling hot dogs, and this businessman, every day he would walk past her, and he could just see that she was old, she was decrepit, selling hot dogs on the street for a dollar. He thought he would help her out. So he put in a dollar in her money box and then went on to work and felt good about himself. Thought, you know, he's helping her out. And so the next day he did the same thing. And he did this every day for three weeks. At the end of the third week, he puts the dollar in and he sees out of the corner of his eye, she starts chasing him. You can see that she's agitated and she's coming after him. So he turns around and he goes to her And he says, I I guess you're wondering why I put a dollar every day in your box. And she said, no, I just wanted to tell you that the price has increased to (laughs) $1.50. So that brings me to my topic, which is ingratitude. And certainly God has paid a high price for us. But sometimes in our ingratitude, we want him to pay more. And I think the Passover is a wonderful opportunity for us to remember the price that God paid to redeem us. Turn with me to Hebrews 6, and I see some water here. I'm just going to help myself. I hope that's uh, okay. Thank you. Hebrews 6, we're 33 days away from the Passover. And what I want to do for the sermon today is, I guess, twofold. Number one, ensure that we are worthy to take the Passover, that we take it in a worthy manner. And number two, that we maximize what we take out of the Passover observance as we observe it 33 days from now. But in Hebrews 6, beginning in verse 4, notice it says this, For it is impossible... For those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance. Seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. 
For the earth which drinks in the rain that comes oft upon it and brings forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receives blessing from God. But that which bears thorns and briars is rejected and is near unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. So there is quite a stern warning here, brethren, that for those of us who have received the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the world to come, that if we turn away, if we turn our back on this, we are crucifying Christ all over again. And Christ asks us every year to remember his death, to remember the high price that he paid for our redemption. And so let us do that together this morning, beginning with the church at Corinth. Let us look at how the church of Corinth kept the Passover and see what lessons we can pull from it to ensure that as we come into the Passover this year, A, we take it worthily, and B, we get maximum benefit from it. First Corinthians, and let's go to chapter 11. First Corinthians chapter 11, let's begin at the top, verse 1. The Apostle Paul, speaking to the brethren in Corinth, says this, Be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. So, I am doing what Christ did. Do what I do. Now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. So, the Corinthian church wasn't all bad. It was doing some things well. And Paul praised them for what they were doing well. Drop down to verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. Paul was very upset about this next subject. So he tells them, you you know, in some things you're doing well, you're following what I instructed you, but in this that I'm about to talk about, I have nothing good to say about you. I am, I am deeply disappointed in you. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. In other words, on this Sabbath day, when the, this holy time, when the congregation is summoned to come together, Paul is saying, I wish you didn't come together. I wish you disobeyed the command, the summons to come together and stayed at home. Because your condition is better when you're apart than when you're together. This is quite a condemnation of a congregation in the church of God. First of all, verse 18, when you come together in the church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I partly believe it. It's like it's something that is unbelievable. But Paul is saying, you know, when I think of some of the characters in Corinth, I kind of believe it. I can see how this could happen. Why? For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. This word heresies, the Greek eresis, it's a, it's a plural noun, and, and heresies is good. I, I think heretics is a better translation, where the apostle is saying, for there must be also heretics among you. So we have three categories. We have you, we have heretics among you, and we have the approved among you. And so there's an example of the approved. There's the example of the heretics. And and you've got to decide which way are you going. Because there are heretics among you. And and it's necessary that these heretics, the wheat and the, the, the tares have to grow together. Why? So that the wheat can be made manifest. So yes, I believe that there are divisions among you. I believe that there are heretics among you. 
so that it becomes obvious who is approved. So keep that in mind, that this, this division that's taking place in Corinth, what's the saying, the cream rises to the top? So, so in this division, in this conflict, we're going to see who's who. Verse 20. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. So the tradition or the custom, the practice back here, was to follow the Lord's example, where the Lord had a meal with his disciples, and then after the supper was over, he then took the Passover with them. So the church did the same thing. They had what they called the agape meal, the love fest, the love feast. And they would come together and they would have this meal. And then after the meal, they would then take the Passover. And he's saying here, you know, you're coming together to have the Lord's Supper, the agape meal. It's not the Lord's Supper. What, what you're participating in is more like the devil's dinner. This is not the Lord's Supper. You're, you're into something else. Because the Lord's, if it was the Lord's Supper, you would behave differently. Verse 21. How do we know it's not the Lord's Supper? Because in eating, everyone takes before the other his own supper. And, and one is hungry, and the other is, is not only full, he's drunk. This, this is the, the, the Lord's body. This is God's church. And the reason we know it's not the Lord's supper, the Lord never behaved like this. You call yourself Christian, and you're coming... And the only thing on your mind is your belly. Get out of my way. Let me get to that piece of meat. And I fill myself. And, and not only do I fill myself with food, pass the wine as well. And I've had so much wine, I'm, I'm now drunk. And another brother is there, hasn't had a thing. He's starving. So in Corinth, they had, a, you could say, a mixed congregation where some were very wealthy and others were very poor. They were slaves. Well, the wealthy didn't have to work. So they could come early, begin the feast early, look after one another, and the, the slave had to wait till the sun set to get off work, and then rush to the service, and all the food is consumed. With, with no Christian concern, no Christian love for your brother, and yet you're fooling yourself to say you're keeping the Lord's Supper. It's not the Lord's Supper. This is not how Christians behave. Verse 22. What? That means, what? Are you crazy? H have you lost your Christian mind? Don't you have houses to eat and to drink in? If it's, if it's a matter of function where you're hungry. You've got food at home. Why not eat at home? Why would you take the Lord's Supper as an opportunity for you to fill your belly? Like, you're just not with the program. This is a highly symbolic meal. Why aren't you with the program? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or is it that you despise the church of God? And you want to shame those that don't have. What shall I say to you? Do, you? do you want me to praise you in this? I have no praise. This disgusts me. I've got nothing good to say about this. Why? For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. So, so what God gave me, I gave to you. Notice this that the Lord Jesus, the very same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. That's what was given to me, and that's what I gave to you. And in, 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 despite this knowledge, you're still behaving in this extremely perverse and selfish manner. Even though you know, the very night that the Lord was betrayed, he took bread broke it, and shared it. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, 
take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. The very night in which he was betrayed. The very night in which he knew, I am about to, to suffer excruciating torture. I'm about to undergo excruciating pain. And on that very night, as he's looking at his betrayer, he broke bread and said, this is for you. That's the mind of Christ. And that's the mind of the Christian. And so if it's the Lord's Supper, when we come together, we come together with this mind. doesn't matter what happens to me. I just want to make sure that you're looked after. This do in remembrance of me. So, so this is really important. That we, we take this Passover symbol to remember our Lord. So in 33 days we will do this. If we've been doing it for 33 years, every year this is the purpose. To remember the mind of our Lord. How he went into death as a lamb slain from the foundation of the world, who uttered not a word. He willingly went to slaughter for others. And yet the Corinthians take for themselves before the other. Verse 25. After the same manner also, he took the cup. And when he had supped it, this is, this is a painful symbol. The cup of God's wrath. And when he had supped it, he said, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do you, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, notice this, this is what we're doing. As often as we keep the Passover, we do show the Lord's death. The Lord's death until he comes. So he's not here yet. So when we come together to keep the Passover, we are demonstrating the Lord's death. He doesn't say, come together and let's all celebrate baby Jesus. Let's celebrate his birth. That's not what he wants us to remember. And that's not what he wants us to remind each other of. What he wants us to remember, what he wants us to remind each other of, is how he died. His death. This, this is why we keep the Passover. To remember and to demonstrate the mind that man can't understand. But we are coming to understand. Not only are we coming to understand it, we are developing it. And every year we deepen our understanding of this mind that did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but gave up all of that to become the Son of Man in the form of a lowly servant, to be tortured and slaughtered for us. This is what we show every Passover. Verse 27. This is where the Apostle really sharpens his point. Verse 27. Therefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of our Lord. If we dare come to the Passover and take the bread and drink the cup unworthily, we are found guilty of the crucifixion of Christ. Not a condition any of us want to find ourselves in. And he says, therefore, in verse 28, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So he, he's not saying, don't keep the Passover. Just examine yourself and make sure you're not taking it in an unworthy manner. And I think in years past I've heard the teaching that 
You know, examine yourself. Do you have sin in your life? Clean that up so that you can take the Passover in a worthy manner. I don't see that in the text. Certainly, the days of unleavened bread teach us that we must root the sin, root the leaven out of our lives for seven days, for all of our lives. It's a lifelong battle of getting the leaven out. Absolutely. That's not what this is saying. What the Apostle is saying here is, therefore, because you're coming together and you're putting yourself ahead of your brother, that's the devil's dinner. That's not the Lord's Supper. Why? Because the Lord, on the very night that he was betrayed, took bread, broke it and said, take, this is for you. Took the cup and said, this is for you. Both of which symbolized his slaughter. So he says, if you take that bread and drink that cup, which symbolizes his slaughter, if you do it unworthily, you are guilty of his slaughter. Therefore, examine yourself. So he's not changing the subject here. It's the same subject. And he goes on to tell us this in verse 29. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself. So we really need to think about this. This Passover could be our damnation. This could be it. We, we could take this Passover and anger God so much that we bring curses down upon ourselves. So we must examine ourselves, go into the Passover, and take it worthily. But how do we do that? Well, he tells us here how, how to not take it worthily. So he says here, eating and drinking damnation to himself. Why? Not discerning the Lord's body. This is the issue. This is what the apostle is driving at. To take the Passover and not discern the Lord's body is, is a travesty. It, it is, it's obscenity. It's a perversion. That you would take the symbol of the Lord's body, but you can't discern the Lord's body. This is what brings damnation. So to take the Lord's body, we must discern the Lord's body. In other words, I can't say I love God and at the same time despise Him. The Apostle says, what? Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or is it that you despise the church of God, which is His body? Look at Luke 22. Luke 22. Verse 21. But behold, the hand of him that betrays me is with me on the table. The same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he shared it with all the disciples, including the betrayer. Behold, the hand of him that betrays me is with me on the table. And truly, the Son of Man goes as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. John 13. So, to Judas, you know, when, when the woman wanted to wash the Lord's feet, he could discern the value of that perfume, that ointment. He, he was shocked. He was like, why couldn't we sell that and then we could take some of that money and give it to the poor? Are you have any idea how much that, that ointment costs? But he couldn't discern the value of our Lord. Sold him for 30 pieces of silver. Behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. There are some that cannot discern the value of the Lord's body. John 13. Verse 
John 13 and verse 1. This is, this is not unlike Esau, who sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Afterwards, it kind of dawned on him that that birthright might be worth something. Quite quite a bit more than a bowl of stew. John 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, notice this, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He loved his own unto the end. So if we are Christians, we're going to love the Lord's unto the end. And supper being ended, and that's why he says, keep the Passover. And and as often as you do this, you show my death until I return, until the end. And his death is all about how much he loved his own. So by keeping the Passover until he returns, we are demonstrating how much he loves his own, how much he loves his body. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. So, so brethren, it's the same devil. It's the same Passover. So when we come together for the Passover, the devil is looking for an entrance. Who can he use to betray the Lord? Is it I, Lord? We must all ask ourselves, Lord, is it me? Not if we understand the Passover. Not if we discern the Lord's body. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper. So this is now after the meal. Laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Dropping to verse 21. When Jesus had thus said... He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, one of you shall betray me. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spoke. So, so Judas was in the mix, but he was such a good actor that, that he fooled the disciples. They didn't know. So the Lord knew, Judas knew, but nobody else knew. Doubting of whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. We know that's the author, John. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spoke. He then, lying on Jesus' bread, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, that you do, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spoke this unto him. Matthew 25. So you just see how gracious our Lord is that his love is for everybody, even for Judas. Judas had that opportunity right there to see the love that Christ had for him and say, I'm not, I can't betray my master. And yet he still betrayed him. Matthew 25. Now, let's bring this right up to date to our time. Matthew 25 and verse 40. And the king shall answer and say unto them, Truly I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. So think of that Corinthian congregation where you've got very wealthy individuals. I I think the the modern term is the, the mucky mucks, right? The people who are movers and shakers. And then you've got the down and outs. And in the Corinthian church, the down and outs don't mean anything. We all look after the movers and the shakers. But Christ is saying, if you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. Now let's go to Acts 9. I'm making the argument that the Lord is still with us. 
I'm making the argument that once he was crucified, that he sent the Holy Spirit, and that was the beginning of the church. I'm making the argument that the church is his body, that he is the head of the church, and that not discerning the Lord's body means not discerning the church, not discerning the members of the church. Acts 9 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Well, verse 1 said, he was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples. The Lord is in heaven. And yet the Lord said to Saul, why do you persecute me? Meaning that the church is his body. And if you persecute the church, you persecute Christ. If you hurt the least of one of his, you hurt Christ. If you bless the least, you bless Christ. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13. And we know in, in Matthew 18, he says, Who shall, Whoso shall offend of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. God is very jealous over his body. God is very jealous over his wife. And how we treat the church matters to, to Christ. And this is what the Corinthians were missing. 1 Corinthians 11. So after highlighting this abuse in the church, where they're coming together for the agape meal, they're looking after themselves, they're not looking after the poor, he says in verse 27, and, and yet they're taking the Passover. And he's saying, you know what? Uh, it's better for you to stay at home. Cancel the Passover this year. Because if you stayed at home, at least then, you're not calling damnation down upon your head. Better to stay at home. But to abuse God's people and then take the Passover, you can't do this. So he says in verse 27, Therefore, whosoever, no exceptions, God is not a respecter of persons. doesn't matter how rich you are. Whosoever shall eat this bread, because there were some very important people in Corinth. Whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That does not mean that you ha you're struggling with sin. That's a lifelong process. We come to the Passover because we're struggling with sin. Christ is our Passover. And our, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. So there's no working up to be righteous here. Christ is our righteousness. And because we accept the Passover, then we go into unleavened bread, and with our might, we work to get sin out of our lives. But working up this kind of, hey, I'm righteous enough to take the Passover, that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying you can't abuse the Lord's body and then come and take the Lord's body. But let a man, instead, let a man examine himself. In other words... Look at how you're treating the church. Look at your relationships in the congregation. And in our case now today, in the broader church, do, do we despise and abuse those who are not part of our fellowship? That's not discerning the Lord's body. If somebody has the Holy Spirit and is keeping the commandments, that's a part of God's body. And we discern that. But let a man examine himself... And let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup that represent the Lord's body. For he that eats and drinks unworthily, the way you people are doing this in Corinth, if, if you do what you're doing and you take the Passover, it's better for you to stay home. Because if you eat and drink unworthily, you eat and drink damnation to yourself, not discerning the Lord's body. 
Then he says in verse 30, this is an interesting statement. For this cause, because of this, because you're keeping the Passover unworthily, you're not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sickly among you, and many die. What does that mean? So because they're not keeping the Passover properly, people are dying. Because they're not discerning the Lord's body, people are dying. And notice he goes from here, and just in, in like a, a few words later, if you look at chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. So he wants the brethren to know that one has the gift of healing, another the gift of prophecy. If the brother who has the gift of healing is being despised, being neglected, not being recognized, how can you have healing in the church if you're not discerning the Lord's body? So, so God distributes the gifts severally as he will. And we all need each other. So you might have one gift. I don't have that gift. I might have a gift you don't have. So we're insufficient of ourselves, but together we're the Lord's body. And as the Lord's body, we can do mighty work. Those that know their God in the end time shall do exploits, so says Daniel. So we come together to do exploits. And if we don't recognize the gifts that we have, many are sickly and they're dying. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Notice the love, that God, the, the covenant faithfulness that God has. That when we are wrong, He chastens us. Why? That we should not be condemned with the world. The, the, the wrath of God is coming. God doesn't want us to be subjected to that wrath. So here, even in Corinth, they're being corrected so that they can be on the right side. Therefore, my brethren... So, so it's the same argument. Notice this. He hasn't changed subjects. It's the same argument, same, same subject. Verse 33. Therefore, here's the conclusion of the matter. When you come together to eat, so you're coming together for the Lord's Supper, here's what you should do. Here's the solution. Wait for one another. So put, put the other first. Uh, John's not here yet. Well, let's wait. He's on his way. We know he's coming. But the food's, the food's hot. It's okay. It's not really about the meal. It's about the symbolism of all of us coming together as the body and loving each other and putting the other first. And we can't do that if we're not all here. So therefore, when we come together, if John's late, yeah, we know he's poor. We know he's the poorest among us. But he's got the gift of healing. So let's, let's honor him. What does the, the scripture say about our uncomely parts? We bestow even more honor on those. So we will wait for one another. That's the answer. And, and now, if any man hunger, it really you should say, if any rich man hunger, because it's the ones that are rich that can come early, let him eat at home. So, so if, if, hungry, if hunger is the issue, have a meal first and then come. Because this meal is not about the function of feeding your biology. This meal is about the symbolism of the body of Christ. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home. That you come together, that you don't come together unto condemnation. This was such a serious concern for Paul. That he says, I've got nothing good to say about you in this. And in fact, it's better if you cancel the Passover. But in order to not bring condemnation on yourselves, wait for one another. Put the other first. Act like Christians. That's a novel idea. Let's, let's be like Christ. Because the very night he was betrayed, he took bread and gave it to Judas. His love was for all the disciples. And the rest I will set in order when I come. In other words, what he's saying here is, the rest I will set in order when I come. Let me translate that. This congregation in Corinth is a mess. But nothing else matters. The highest priority is to get the Passover right. Because the way you're keeping the Passover, 
you're bringing condemnation on yourself. Everything else that's wrong, I, I can deal with that later, but you got, this is urgent. You've got to fix this. And then he goes on then to talk to them about spiritual gifts. Let's look at John 15. Where we see the love that Christ had for his disciples. John 15 and verse 9. As the Father has loved me, in the same way that the Father loves me, so have I loved you. You continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So this is, this is why the commandments are so important. This is what keeps us in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. So, so there is a joy here that if we stick to this, this joy will be full. It, it bears a fruit. It, it, it matures. This is my commandment. This is my commandment. That you love one another as I have loved you. So as the Father loves Christ, that's how Christ loved his disciples. And how he loved his disciples is how we must love one another. This is a commandment. So this is what we must do. We, we must have this kind of undying, unyielding, uh, deep commitment of love for one another. Not like my friend at the bar last night who uh, has gone through five women and asked him, uh, do you think, have, have you met anybody? You know what his answer was? Every day. <laughs> Every day he meets somebody that he could marry. Uh, that's not the kind of love we're talking about here. We're talking about a very deep, profound covenant love. You're my covenant sister. Because you're in the covenant, I love you. The way that God has covenant love. When we we read the Old Testament, we see God's covenant love for Israel. Israel was a disaster. Israel, uh, I have to watch my language, Israel was a prostitute. God says, you're you're a prostitute. He says to Hosea, go and marry a prostitute and, and, and build a family with her so that you can see what I'm going through. And this is yet the commitment that God has for Israel. Because it's covenant love. As the Father loves, as Christ loves, this is the covenant love that the Passover reminds us we must have for one another. It's covenant love. It's not, you know what? Today you make me feel good, so I'll give you a bit of my love. But tomorrow, hey, you stepped on my toe. I'm I'm withdrawing my love. This is covenant love. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So this is what the Passover is reminding us, that he laid down his life for us, and as he, the way he loved us, this is the way we must love one another. We must be willing, in covenant love, to lay down our lives for our friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you, and I command you to love one another. Verse 17. These things I command you that you love one another. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And I have to say, uh, as we were driving through Texas, the number of churches that we see here is quite remarkable. We don't have this in Canada. I mean, we we do have churches. Uh, I guess a lot of them are being transformed into mosques. But to see the number of churches here It's heartwarming, actually. But we know that the climate is changing. And there is increasing hostility toward Christians. And that that satanic hatred toward Christ is coming down on us. So Christ says, don't be surprised. If the world hates you, so in, in the context of loving one another, he's warning us that the world will hate us. So the command for us is to love one another. The example for us is that Christ died in his love for us and that we must follow that example. So there is a hatred coming toward us and we're commanded, no matter how intense that hatred is, we must have covenant love for one another. And every Passover, we must be reminded of this. 
If you were of the world, oh, sorry, if the world hates you, verse 18, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So it's not about you. It's the fact that the world and Satan hates Christ. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said unto you? The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So again, we keep the Passover to remind us that the world hated Christ. And if they persecuted him, they'll persecute us. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. So they're ungodly. And they're going to do these things. Chapter 16, verse 1. A critical verse. These things have I spoken unto you. Why? That you should not be offended. So I tell you these things that you should not be offended. I was traveling the other day and between America and Canada I have a Nexus card. It's a trusted traveler. And I got to the lineup and it was so, it was a zoo. And I thought, I'm a trusted traveler. I don't have to do this. And I saw a, a, line, a, a smaller line for trusted traveler, but it was, there was a rope there. So I bent to go under the rope. And as I bent to go under the rope, it happened. I heard my pants tear from below the knee right up to the waist. And I thought, oh no. I had a jacket on. So I thought, well, I'm good. I've got this jacket on. And it kind of came just below my just above my knee. But then I got to security and I realized I have to take the jacket off. <laughs> so long story short, I, bought, I did go through and buy a pair of jeans, but I've got to say I felt, I felt ashamed. And you know what I thought about afterwards is there are no shortcuts. I was offended that, hey, I'm a trusted traveler. I don't have to be subjected to this. Oh, I'm going to take a shortcut. Well, maybe there are no shortcuts. And yeah, maybe God does love us, but maybe we have to go through some difficult times. Maybe we do have to be chastened. And so we take the Passover to remind ourselves that there are no shortcuts. And if they hated Christ, they'll hate us. But no matter how much they hate us, we will have covenant love for one another. As we wrap up here, let me just call on Matthew 24. Matthew 24. The rest of John 16 is great just to show how much uh, Christ is warning us not to be offended. That the, that the climate is going to change and not for the better for us. But eventually, we will have great joy. But Matthew 24, beginning in verse 8, as the climate changes, people are going to be panicking, losing their heads. We're not. Because Christ says to us, when you see all these things, verse 8, all of this, it's just the beginning. So when we look at the news, everyone else is panicking. We're saying it's going to get a lot worse. This is just the beginning. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended. So Christ told us in John 16, I'm telling you this ahead of time so that you won't be offended, but he tells us here in Matthew 24, many will be offended. Uh, I'm a Christian, I don't have to go through this. Right? I, I thought that when I accept Christ, I, I could name it and claim it. I, 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 I'm believing God for a new car. I'm believing God for a flat screen TV. I'm not believing God for persecution. I'm not believing God for crucifixion. But that might be coming. And when it comes, we will not be offended and we will not betray one another because we keep the Passover. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another. Behold, he that betrays me is at table with me. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another. So many will be offended, many will betray one another, and look at this, and shall hate one another. And this is where Corinth was heading. But this is what the Passover protects us from. That it doesn't matter what they do, do to me. 
because I realize it's not about me. It's about Christ and the covenant love that he has for his body. Let me conclude, brethren. Well, here in Matthew 24, verse 12, because of the iniquity that's coming here, that's going to engulf society, it's going to be, it's going to be absurd. Lawlessness will abound. Because of that, the love of many shall wax cold. The stats are not good for the church. Stats are not good for the church. Many will be offended. Many will betray one another. The love of many will wax cold. That's why the Passover is so important. That when we come together, we take this Passover, we deepen our covenant love for one another, we deepen our understanding of the mind of Christ, we deepen our resolve to sacrifice ourselves like Christ for his body. 33 days. Let's make sure we take the Passover worthily, in a worthy manner. And let's conclude, brethren, in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Therefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience. In patience we possess our souls. It's going to be difficult, but let's run this with patience. The race that is set before us. Not even a hair can fall from our head without God's permission. And God has obviously given a lot of permission to my hair (laughs) to fall from my head. So we're going to run this race. Looking unto Jesus, every Passover, we're understanding him more. We're understanding his love more. We're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, says, with desire, I have desired to take this Passover with you, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, and we must do the same, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thirty-three days away, brethren. Let's make this Passover really, truly count. Let's keep it in such a way that God sees how much love we have for the Lord's body. And that God sees that if necessary, we will lay down our lives for one another. God bless.